teaching the the, the following series is going to be, I, I believe, I'm still wrestling with it a little bit, but I think we're going to call it hashtag never. <laughs> so I said that to Emma, and she goes, why hashtag that? I go, I don't know, it's cool, and I can do this, hashtag never. Um, we're going to talk about engage, and it's funny to follow up, isn't that funny to follow up never with a, a brave risk, engage, never? Yeah, I don't know. We'll, we'll see how that works out. But we're going to be talking about engage today. Um, you know, I, I don't understand why God has been speaking in this way to me, giving me like one word sentences, one word phrases. Um, but what I am going to do, and I hope you will do with me, is just embrace it. We'll hold on to those words. We're going to press into it. And what our goal is, is together to be conformed to the image of Christ, to look more like Jesus than we did yesterday, right? And it seems impossible because Jesus is the Son of God. So if you want, you can say, you know, I'm going to be conformed to the image of Jesus by looking more like Peter or Paul, a little more faithful than I was before, moving a little more in the power of the Spirit, edging more toward a Moses or a David or even a Daniel. But ultimately, we're seeking to become like Christ together. So we're just going to press into that. Um, engage, it's a word you hear a lot in the business world, actually. If you go online and you read like uh, Forbes magazine or any of those uh, kind of business magazines, they talk about creating engagement in your business with your culture. Business owners are asking, how do I get my clients to engage with my product? How do I move my invention from just a good idea to somebody else's lifestyle, right? Moving an invention or a product from just a good idea to somebody's lifestyle. How can I use social media to engage my audience? It's a catchy word and maybe a little bit ambiguous. Um, Outside of business, we use the word engage to maybe rate our date. You know, you go on a date with somebody and you think, how engaging was the conversation? How, how, How into this person was I? And then if you're a single person and you go away from a date, you rate your date by asking, was I engaged at the end of that date, right? You guys follow me? Did I, did, I, did I get a ring? Yeah, engaged. So what is engagement? What was that? Yeah, it was ring on the first date. I went to Northwest College, and what they said, the catchphrase was, ring by spring or your money back. Yeah, I never did get my money back. Ugh. Took several springs after I was graduated. Anyway, so what is engagement? What does it mean, and why are we talking about this? So, what does it mean to engage? To engage means to become involved or attached to something by moving from passive participation to intentional investment. That's taking Webster's and working with it a little bit, but it's it's becoming involved with something or attached to something. I love this. It's mine. I you create ownership, a sense of belonging with it by moving from passive participation to an intentional investment. What business owners want people to do is to become attached to their product. So the cigarette companies, they learned long ago that they could add more nicotine to the cigarettes and then you become more attached to it. Coca-Cola back in the 1900s, they added cocaine to the soda and suddenly people were very attached to Coca-Cola. It worked, right? So you can create in, in, you can create engagement by putting drugs in things. It's what we do here with communion. No, kidding. Um, we did not. I want to make sure you were engaged with me, and you were. Good job. Yes. We want people to move from a passive experience, like, oh, that's nice. That's neat. I, I don't really need that. We want you to move from that to, I've got to get one of those. I've got to have that. And eventually to an intentional investment of, I'm shelling out the bucks for it. It's moving from, hey, that iPad's kind of cool, to, I've got to have an iPad 
to I bought an iPad to, hey, I am all in with I. I'm buying an iMac, iPad, iPods. We're iBuds, right? We're all in. We move in engagement. We're moving from, intentionally moving from you and me to a we. You catch that? We move from you and me to a we by intentionally making investments in the relationship with that product or person. Engagement happens in two parts. First is a decision to attach to that thing, to become involved with that thing, to no longer be passive, to just let it be you and me. I intentionally choose to be a we. I intentionally decide that I want you in my life and I want to be in your life and we want to be together forever. And then the second part of it is an intentional movement that we actually take steps. We act on our decision to engage with somebody. It's not very threatening to think about engagement when we're talking about a product like an iPad. I mean, yes, they're expensive. Yes, they will radically transform your life, but they probably won't ruin it. But when we talk about relationships and relational engagement, that's where it gets dangerous and it even gets threatening. Think about it. When two people commit to get married to one another, we call it engagement. Yep. I have decided that you are the one for me. There will be nobody else. Just you for the rest of our lives. Big, big commitment. I'm attached to you. And because of that, I'm going to intentionally invest the rest of my life with you. In fact, you know, if it's an iPad, I give, I give Apple a couple hundred bucks. But if it's a wife, what do I give her? A ring? I give her more than a ring, right? I give her my finances? I give her more than my finances, right? I give her my heart. My whole life. It's an enormous investment. And we don't reserve. The two shall become one, is what the Bible says. We make a choice of a relational engagement beyond marriage as well. We decide that one person or another person would be a good friend to us. So we invest friendship time with them. We think about church. We come to a church and we look around and we we say, oh, hey, that that place seems healthy. That place seems alive. That place seems like... I can grow here. It looks like I can belong here. Like I can make a difference here. So we, we jump in and we begin to invest. We decide that this is the place for us. And then we begin to invest. Maybe it starts with giving. You, 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 you give a little bit in the offering and then you're tithing. Or maybe it's like, I'm gonna, I gotta serve somewhere. I'm gonna jump in. I'm gonna be a Sunday school teacher. Or I'm gonna work back in the hospitality bar and make coffee for people. Or I'm gonna be a greeter or an usher. Or I'm gonna be a children's ministry worker. Or I'm gonna be a, a youth ministry worker. I'm gonna, like, all these places. Guys, we shared this at the the meeting the other night. If you weren't here for the vision meeting, 88% of this church is serving on a regular basis in some capacity. It's insane. Most churches, it's 20%. You guys are invested and engaged in the life of this church. You've chosen, and you've made an intentional investment in it. It's really exciting. Our story this morning that we read, it's the very picture, the essence of the meaning of engagement. Ruth makes an intentional decision to move toward Naomi and with Naomi. She watched her sister-in-law. You imagine that moment. You know, they're both, they're all three crying and weeping. It's this blubbery moment. And, and it's just like, it's sad. And we realize that we're moving apart and we're never going to see each other again. One daughter, she, she goes home. She returns to her, her people and to her gods. But Naomi, in that moment, decides, this is a decision. I am staying with you. This we relationship we have, I'm attached to it. It's important to me. It's important, more important than even my life. 
It's more important to me that, that I have you than I have food. She says, where you go, I will go. Where you stay, I will stay. I'm in all the way, completely engaged with you. When you think about it in those sorts of terms, engagement is one of the most important things that we do as human beings. It's how we develop the most important relationships in our life, husband or wife, good friends. It's how we develop a healthy relationship with our own body, choosing to do the things that make us healthy and strong. It's, it's how we develop a relationship with causes that bring meaning to our life, whether it's social justice or the poor or um, orphans or the church or whatever it is that you are called to do. You make intentional investments in these things. Your job, you make intentional investments in these things. You choose to engage in it. Take an inventory of your life, and I would bet that the things that give your life a sense of meaning and purpose, they're the places that you make the most intentional, develop, uh, intentional investments with your life. Said another way, the, most, the more intentional you are in investing in that relationship, the more meaningful it becomes. You understand what I'm saying? The more you invest in the relationship, whether it's your husband or wife or a friend or your job or a cause or the church, the more you invest in that, the more meaningful that relationship will become to you. But the flip side is also true. The more passive you become in your investments, the less meaningful your connection will be. The more passive you become, sorry, Jandy, just spit on you. Big passive word. Um, she's still like, ugh, it's in my eyes. Good thing I got glasses on. Yeah, the more, I'm a Pentecostal preacher. What do you expect, right? The more passive you become in your relationship with your wife or your husband. Oh, we don't need to go out this week. We don't need to go out this month. Oh, we don't need to go out this year. Right? The more passive you become, the less meaningful the connection between the two of you will be. Brene Brown, she suggests in her book, um, it, uh, I didn't write the name of the book down, it is Daring Greatly. She suggests that the greatest betrayal in any relationship is the betrayal of disengagement, becoming passive, because it's the betrayal that leads to every other betrayal that you could experience. When you stop talking to your wife, spending time with her, you let yourself lose interest in her, you're not far from painful betrayals because you're going to invest your emotions someplace else. Well, let's take it out of the realm of marriage and talk about a computer. It's, this, is the, this is the process. You can move from engaged to disengaged. I used to be really passionate about PC, but constant problems made me indifferent to it. Eh, it's just a computer. It gives me trouble. And then it started crashing and getting viruses, and suddenly I had technological wandering eye, Right? I'm suddenly I'm looking for something more powerful, more stable, more beautiful. Suddenly, I am looking at Apple, right? And talk about Apple. I mean, geez, Genesis chapter two or three. What did what did Eve find? She found it. It said we we represent the fruit of good and evil. An apple, right? And the fruit of knowledge of good and evil. You see what I'm saying? We move from engaged to something toward disengaged from something by being passive about it, by being indifferent toward it, by being apathetic about it. And then we take our emotions and we place them someplace else. This, this is true of our relationship with Jesus. We're, we're a church, so we're going to talk about Jesus. This is true about our relationship with Jesus. Have you thought about how engaged you are in your relationship with Jesus? And have you thought about it? How meaningful is that relationship for you? 
How much investment do you put in that relationship? Have you ever wondered why some people walk away from their faith? I mean, it seems like, hey, oh, wow, they were at church every Sunday, raising their hands in worship. They were, they were into it. They were in this small group. All these things were happening and going on in their life. They were changing, and it was amazing. And then suddenly they just seemed to kind of lose steam, and they seemed to slow down. And then they kind of started coming less, and they were, weren't at group anymore. And then they weren't at church every Sunday, and then they weren't even at church once a month. And then eventually they just kind of wandered away. Why does that happen to people? This community, if their faith was such an important part of their life, how did it go from such an important part of their life to unimportant? It's never simple to answer that question, but here's the bottom line, I think. Most people wander away from their faith because they become passive about their relationship with Jesus. They become passive about it. Other things become more important. They invest in their work. They invest in their their causes. They'll invest in all sorts of things, relationships, even their, their husband and wife relationship before they invest in their, the relationship with God. And because they become passive in that relationship, it becomes less and less important, and they get wandering eye, and all of a sudden the things of this world that had grown strangely dim, the things that were so attractive at one point in our life that our sight of God made dim and made less attractive, suddenly they become louder and become more attractive. Does that make sense to you? This is why we wander away from faith. Become, become more engaged with comfort. We become more engaged with security. We become more engaged with pleasure, more engaged with work, more engaged with school, more engaged with a relationship. It can be just about anything. But when we take our emotional investment and place it in all these other things but Jesus, we become passive in that relationship, and it, and it dwindles. It dwindles. It leads me to the second idea about engagement. While making pa- not, not actively investing in our relationship with God causes it to shrink, making investments in that relationship with God speaks volumes to the world around you. Engagement speaks. I don't know if you've caught the end of the passage in the book of Ruth, but let me read this to you again. So the two of them went until they came to Bethlehem. They had been walking for days and days and days. The two of them, they were filthy. They were in rags. You know, Naomi left with a husband and two boys and came back with a daughter-in-law and nothing. And when they arrived in the town, they came, they, let's see, they, they, so the two of them went on until they came to Bethlehem. And when they came to Bethlehem, get this, the whole town was stirred because of them. The whole town. She left with nothing, came back with a devoted daughter-in-law, but the story of her daughter-in-law staying with her, of following her, of sticking with her, stirred the whole town. They saw how engaged the two of them were with each other. Have you ever imagined how your engagement, your relationship with Jesus, your investment in that relationship speaks to the world around you? Have you ever thought about what it says to the to the people that you know at work, the people you know in your neighborhood, your own kids, what does it say to them? If you invest in your relationship with God, with your whole heart, your whole mind, your whole strength, people will take notice. When I asked Heidi to marry me, I was scared to death. <laughs> it really was. It was really funny. We'd been dating for quite a while. I knew she was going to say yes. She'd even picked out the ring. But I was still scared to death to ask her. But she says no. What if she says no? Why do I have that in my head? I don't know. It sticks in there. What if she says no? I'm scared to death. And I placed this 
spring, and she said yes. We were on a beach. People would come and disturb us because we had a bottle of Martinelli's cider with us. You can't have alcohol here. We're like, oh, and he's like, oh, innocent kids. And and I had this ring, and it's this beautiful, sparkling, just amazing diamond. Um, it was really expensive for me. And I took this expensive piece of jewelry, and I placed it on her left ring finger. When we tried to get married, I tried putting it on her right because you get left and right mixed up in those moments. But I got it right in that moment. I put this shiny rock and piece of metal on her left ring finger, right where my wedding ring sits. And from that point forward, when she walked around, which she walked like this, she was advertising to everybody, hey, Doug, look at me. I got a guy. I'm off the market. Hey, Joe, I'm off the market. Don't ask me out. She's like, stop. I didn't really do that. She didn't. But she did walk like this a bit, honestly. But what woman doesn't, right? When you get this engagement and you've invested in this relationship and you're saying, I'm off the market, that's what the ring says. It says, I'm, I'm promised to somebody. Engagement, an engagement ring speaks that to the world around it. That's what happens. Have you ever met another Christian that you didn't explicitly know was a Christian? They never said, oh, hey, I go to this church or that church. They never, they never said, oh, Jesus is the Lord of my life or anything. But when you just in, talked with them, you knew that that person was a Christian. Like Jesus had so filled them that the Holy Spirit was so all over them that you couldn't just, they were like dripping joy, that they were just peaceful and kind and patient and gentle. And you're like, you have got to be a Christian. When somebody invests in their, their faith in that way, that's what comes out. It's like an engagement ring. They're off the market. They're off the market. Our intentional choices transform us, and they catch people's attentions. A few years ago, Heidi and I led a team of people to Baja, Mexico, and Heidi's got this friend who wasn't a believer at the time. Maybe now we're not real sure. She seems to be kind of moving toward faith, but at the time she's like, I'd never take my kids to Mexico. That's just not safe. What about all the beheadings? What about all these things going on? We're like, you know, for Christians, these kind of risks are, these, this is what we do. We follow Jesus. We trust in Jesus. And it, it became this witness to her where she's like, I would never take my kids on this sort of thing. And we're like going boldly into it. She's like, something's different about you. Something's different about you. In Acts chapter 2, the end of the chapter, in Acts chapter 2, 42 and 43, it describes the early church. And it's really a picture of what happens when people engage with God and the Holy Spirit fills them and this relationship grows and thrives. And it is this picture that is absolutely insane to the modern man, to the, to the logical eye, to just the normal everyday life of a person on the street. It says this, So those who received Peter's word were baptized, and they were, and they were added that day about 3,000 souls. 3,000 people joined the church in one day. Don't know what we would do if that ever happened here. I'm looking forward to trying to find out. And then he says this, Acts 2.42, And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship. They started going to church. And to the breaking bread. They were eating together all the time. And to praying. And here's what, listen to this. And awe came upon every soul. And many signs and wonders were being done through the apostles. And, and they all who believed were together. And they had everything in common. They were sharing. Nobody's like, this is mine. You can't have it. You, you don't, don't get in the refrigerator and eat my pizza. They were just sharing it. Sharing everything. They were sharing their finances. They were sharing their homes. They were sharing their food. They were sharing their lives. All of it. And they were selling their possessions and their belongings and distributing the proceeds to all and to any who had need. 
and day by day, attending the temple together. I've lost my place. Where's my... Uh-oh. Yeah. I've got my iPad. My uh, rest of my pages are gone, folks. And awe became upon every soul. That's unnerving, because I'm going to have to go off the cuff now, folks. It's my apple. Yeah, no, it was my fault. I must have done something funny. So, okay, here we go. I'm going to just do it. Ready? And awe came upon every soul. If this was us, just saying, who wouldn't take notice of that? Right? Who wouldn't take notice of this sort of life? Who wouldn't take notice of this sort of engagement? When we invest intentionally in our relationship with God, this is what happens. People stand up and take notice. They look and say, something's different about that. Something's different about that place. That's kind of attractive to me. It scares me, but I'm interested. And they begin to move from totally passive to maybe that's for me, to maybe I want some of that, to I'm going to make an intentional investment and I'm going to buy into this. Now, there was two words that I wanted to talk about in terms of, of engagement. Second one is coming to mind. I'm trying to keep the first one out. Let's bring it up here. Bring me the next slide. This will help me. I'll preach right from this slide. Here we go. There it is. <laughs> decide. We have to decide what's important to us. We have to decide what is most important to us. Thank you, Andrew. You know, I, I do have all this in my heart but I can't keep it all in my head at one time. There are decisions actually recorded. There are no decisions actually recorded in the book of Ruth. Did you catch that before? I'm like, you have to make a decision. I'm like, we just see people acting. But that's the result of their decision. The action is the result of their decision. We never see Naomi and, and her husband and her boys sitting down in the kitchen and say, hey, let's make a pros and cons list of leaving uh, Bethlehem here and going someplace else to find food. Okay, like, All right, pros. We won't starve to death. Good, that's awesome. Cons, foreign gods, starving foreign gods, starving for Hey, let's just go, right? They didn't sit and make that sort of decision. They just got up and left. And then you don't see the same sort of process coming back home. You don't see Naomi and the gal sitting down going, well, if maybe the pros are if we go back home, we'll die penniless and poor, but at least I'll be in my land and with my people, and they'll bury me. That'll be good. You know, the ladies are like, well, wait a minute. If we stay here, the people maybe will feed us. Maybe we can find husbands. They don't have this sort of process. But we know they made a decision. When the boys all died, Naomi decided to go home. The words that are written very specifically, she says this. She said she looked and she saw that God had visited the land and it was fruitful. That God had visited Israel and it was fruitful. She decided that going toward where God was moving where God was working, where God was pouring out his blessing, where God was doing the stuff that he does all the time, moving toward that was way better than sitting where she was at. It was way better than staying at home and dying there because she'd rather die where God is blessing than where God is not. She decided to head home. I don't know about you, when I get a sense of direction, north, south, east, west, and I'm in a place, it's, it's hard to get lost. You know, You just know generally, like in Pullman, if I want to head downtown from my house, all i got to do is generally head east, and eventually I'll wind up there. Naomi kind of had that same sense with God. 
She had that same sense with God. She knew which direction God was because God was blessing something someplace. And so she knew that if I want to be with God and God's people, I'm just going to have to just move toward that blessing, move toward that work. So she moves that, in that sense of direction. And she knew which way the Lord was. And in her time of distress, rather than being faithless, she became faithful. Ruth decides to go with Naomi because of her love for her. Again, there's no pros and cons, but she makes a decision, and that decision is marked by an action. Arms around the legs, where you go, I will go. Where you stay, I will stay. You're not getting rid of me. Once upon a time and a long, long time ago in a galaxy far, far away, I made a decision like that. I decided to follow Jesus. And my story of following Jesus and deciding to follow Jesus is probably different than a lot of yours. Many of you came to church and you heard a pastor or a children's worker or a youth pastor you know, give this message about salvation and following Jesus and giving your life to him. And, and you went down front and, and you were prayed for and you said a prayer and you said, this is it. I'm committing. I'm deciding right now. I have decided to follow Jesus. No turning back. And then you wrote down December 12th, 1987. I dedicated my life to Christ. I, I didn't have one of those moments. I've, I've got no date. I've got no moment. But guess what? If you look at my life, you'll see that my decision was made. I decided to follow Jesus. And you can tell I decided to follow Jesus by the course of my life. And I do have a moment where I declared it publicly to the world. At Eagle River First Baptist Church in 1982, I swam through the baptismal pool in front of everybody, and they dunked me under this water, and it said, you were dead to this life, but raised to new life in Christ. And everybody whooped and hollered and cheered. And I have this moment where I said, I decided, and I made this action, I was baptized to declare to everybody that I had made that decision. Baptism is a marker of a decision. I want you to know this, though. Decisions take commitment. You can't be passive about our decisions. I decided to follow Jesus, and what that means is I'll come to church and let the pastor speak to me. Commitment's kind of a dirty word in this culture. You notice that? It's like we're afraid of commitment. We do a, a party at our house, and we'll, we'll send this thing out where we'll be like, hey, everybody come to our house for games on Friday night. I mean, literally, this is just fun. You know, we're going to have food. There's going to be food and games. Come to our house, and we'll hear nothing. People be like, well, maybe, I don't know. And you know, they don't want to commit. It's like there's this fear that maybe if I commit to coming to your house and then somebody else shows up with a better invitation, that I'm going to miss out on this better thing. So we're afraid to make this commitment. We're afraid to jump in. Like if I, if I say yes to come into your house on Friday night, you know what's going to happen. Sure enough, somebody's going to invite me to Black Cypress for dinner for free. And I'm going to trade a game with you and, you know, some really nice hummus dip for a steak. And that's just not okay. Why do we have this idea that some better invitation is going to come up? I don't know. But when we make a decision for Jesus, often we have this same attitude in our commitment toward Christ. I am in as long as there's not a better offer out there. I am in as long as there's not something that seems more fun and more interesting. And let's be honest, following Jesus isn't always more fun and more interesting than what happens out in the world. But it is always, always more blessed. Always more filled with the Spirit. Always conforming us to the image of Christ. Always making us better. Always filling us with His, his purpose, His love. But we're afraid to commit 
And so we hesitate. We hesitate. Engaging God requires a commitment. The heart and soul of being a Christian is the declaration that Jesus Christ is Lord of my life. He's in charge. He makes the invitations. I say yes. His invitations are never to be ignored. When God says, go, I go. When God says, come, I come. And it's not like a puppy dog. It's because he is the lover of my soul, and he is all that I want. And so I'm pursuing him with everything that I have. Decide. Today, as we talk about engagement, I'm asking you to decide. What place does this relationship with Jesus have in your life? Make a decision. Don't be passive about it. Make a decision today. Who is it that you want to be? What place does this relationship have? James, would you come? Second word that I wanted to talk about is decide and move. Once you make a decision, people know you make a decision by acting on it. Engagement involves movement from one thing to another. We move from passive to an intentional. We move from you and me to we. We move from Moab to Bethlehem. We make a decision and we act on it. Have you ever noticed that life with God seems to always involve some sort of movement? Have you ever noticed this? It always involves movement. Naomi looks and sees that God has visited her people and has given them food, so she decides to move toward that blessing. Ruth says to Naomi, where you go, I will go. If you move, I will move. Where you stay, I will stay. When you stop, I will stop. Have you made that sort of commitment to Jesus? Have you decided to make that commitment and then acted on it? God is always on the move. He's always inviting you and me into a relationship that is deeper than it was before. Some of you have made a decision in the past, and you've lived on that, and you've acted on it, but you've stayed where you're at. You're just treading water, and it's become passive. And God says, no, I want more. I want, I want you to come in deeper. I want you to know me more. I want you to know me better. That's how Charles Dickens would say it. Know me better, man. Dig in. Come in. Be intentional. Move toward me. God is always moving. You can see the signs of his work, and you can hear his voice calling you. What movement does your decision to follow Jesus call you to today? I don't think that God is specifically calling anybody here to, to move from point A to point B, like from here to, to you know, the Caribbean. <laughs> We're all hoping for that sort of call, right? Move me to the Caribbean, please, Jesus. But God is calling us to move from the old person to the new, from the old life to the new. I sense that he is calling each one of you and each one of us into a new season of spending intentional time with the Lord. He is calling us into a new engagement with him. And I wonder, I wonder, has Jesus moved you in one of these ways before? I'm going I'm 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 to do something here. I'm going to go through a list of things, ways that God calls us to move. And I believe that there are some people here in this moment that God is calling you to move from point A to point B, as I describe it. And I want to invite you, if this is you, if God is calling you in this, to stand up. And if God has already moved you in this way, to stand up. Because I want you to see something. 
I'm going to tell you. Just a second, Sandy. Well, we got this thing. Just, here we go. Today, I think that Jesus is standing at the doorway of a tomb in somebody's life where a dream has been buried. A dream for what God could do in you, God could do through you, that what your family could look like, what the hope of your marriage could look like. There is this tomb in your heart, and you've buried this dream in there. And God wants to bring that dream back to life. He is moving you from death to life. If you have ever had a dream that's died and you have been moved from death to life, would you stand up? And if God is saying to you, look, we're standing at the tomb of this place, this dream, and it's died, and I want you to move to new life. I want to breathe new life in that dream. I know you're scared. Stand up. Today, there are some people here that feel defeated. They feel overrun. They feel weak. The circumstances of your life have made you faithless, but God is calling you to engage with him, and he wants you to move from defeat to victory. If you've ever moved from defeat to victory, or you need to move there today, stand up. Someone here is mired in shame, the belief that we are worthless. You work harder and harder and harder to try to earn the Lord's favor, to prove that you're worthy. Sometimes you just give up entirely, but God wants you to engage with him, get attached to him, to find your worth in him because he is moving you from shame to grace this morning. If that's you, you may already be standing. (laughs) I am moving from shame to grace. Someone has been captivated by fear and anxiety. It's paralyzed you. You're stuck in Moab. You can't move back to Bethlehem. You can't pursue the one you love, so you sit passively still. God is calling you to engage. He is moving you from fear to faith. Someone here is like Naomi. Your circumstances have not been pretty. And while you still hope in the Lord, sorrow has been your companion. Jesus isn't calling you to engage with him. He's moving you from sorrow to joy. Joy in the midst of your circumstances. All across this country, people are looking for the next move of God. People are looking and watching and waiting for the next move of God. You know what you see right here? You are the move of God. This is the move of God. He is moving us from death to life. He is moving us from from shame to grace. He is moving us from fear to faith. He is moving us in all of these places. This is the move of God. The Holy Spirit is upon you. He has anointed you. He has gifted you, and he has moved you, and he is calling you. Do not belittle this. Do not look to someplace else, but know that Jesus is alive in this place and in you. This is the wonder of being a follower of Jesus. There is hope for even the most hopeless of us. How many of you guys know that to be true? There is hope for even the most hopeless of us. Amen? We believe deeply that people can change, that circumstances can change, that our city can change, that our world can change, but it begins with us making a movement. I have decided to follow Jesus. There may be some here who are where I said before that we made a decision at one place in our life We've been treading water ever since. 
maybe even becoming a little more passive as time goes on. And today, Jesus is saying, I need you to engage with me. Turn your life to me. If that's you in this place this morning, I want to invite you to come to the altar. Come to the, the, the front of this room and meet with Jesus and be prayed for. To, to come and say, you know, Jesus, again, I, I'm, I'm committing. I am deciding today. This is it. This is my moment. Today, I choose to follow you. There's no shame in coming forward. There's only grace. So I invite you, come. Come. We're going to pray. Prayer team, would you guys come down and pray with these folks? Today, Lord, we make a decision to follow you. We don't want to be passive in our relationship with you. We don't want to, to just give part of ourselves. We want to give all of ourselves because we want to receive all that you have for us. Lord, we want to know all of you, not just part of you. And to get to that place, Lord, we have to let you know all of us. So now we commit, Lord. All across the front of this room, we commit to you our lives. We make a decision to follow you this day. There may be some in this place that have made these decisions but never committed it publicly. And I want to invite you on Easter Sunday to be baptized. Baptism isn't something that actually gives us salvation. And we're not saved by it, but we're declaring our salvation to the world. We're declaring our salvation to our friends and our neighbors and our family members. We're declaring this decision to move toward God. And if that's you, I want to invite you to talk to me after we're done this morning to be baptized here in front of this church, to make a public declaration of your decision to follow Jesus. Lord, I just pray for this church right now, for this people that are meeting with you before before your throne, coming to your feet, to commit their lives again to you. Lord, I pray that we would reach our arms out and wrap our spiritual arms around your feet. That we would go where you go. That we would have a commitment that says, where you go, I will go. Where you stay, I will stay. Where you move, I will move. God, what you do, I will do. I will not let you go. I am holding on with all that I have. And we would declare it to the world with how we live and how we act, how we speak, how we treat people. Lord, how we pursue you, how we invest in you. God, that these lives and this whole church's life, each one of us, this place would speak to the world around it of our love for you and of your power alive in us. Jesus, we thank you for this strong word this morning. May we move as you move. Jesus, I just pray a seal of protection over these hearts. Lord, as we make decisions for you, we know that we will face the challenges from the enemy. We will face uh, circumstances and trials that will will spring up and try to to kill or destroy the the root of what you are creating in us and our decisions. So Jesus, I just pray a hedge of protection over each one of these folks. That you would guard the work that you have done in them. That you would see it to completion. God, I pray that we would be dissatisfied with anything less than all of you that you would build in this church a holy dissatisfaction for the things of this world, for ordinary, for passive, and that we would pursue you with all that we have. In Jesus' name, everybody said, amen, amen. I want to invite you to go in the grace of our Lord to be 
a witness for the kingdom with how you live. Bless one another as you go. Pray for these folks as you go. Give hugs as you go. Get baptized. Come talk to me about it. In Jesus' name, go in the grace of our Lord. Amen.